It's one of the most intense places in the world. It's a place of great argument, debate, and struggle. It's a place where captains are kings, arguments are won, friendships are divided. What is this place? The kickball field at recess. <laughs> Many of you, as you hear that phrase, kickball in recess, it brings great anxiety upon you because it reminds you of that terrible day, that fateful day, in which teams were selected and you were left out. That's a terrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling when to feel unwanted, to feel like you're not valued, to not feel like you belong. One of the things I'm grateful for in the gospel is that God loves the rejects. God loves the unlovable. God loves those who are unwanted. And God pursues after those who are far from him. It's amazing to me that the gospel of Jesus Christ is open to anybody and everybody who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ by faith. It's open to anybody including the Gentiles. And that is what we see Peter arguing in Acts chapter 11. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 11. We as a faith family are walking through the book of Acts together, studying this great historical narrative of how the gospel began in Jerusalem and has multiplied out to the ends of the earth. We're now in our fourth and final week of a mini-series within the book of Acts called Gospel for All. Within this text, we've been looking at Acts 10 and part of the first part of chapter 11, looking at the significance and the implications of the Holy Spirit coming upon the Gentiles. Now, why are we spending so much time here in what happened in Caesarea with Peter and Cornelius? Well, there's two reasons. The first is Luke spills a lot of ink in this book on this series of events. The Holy Spirit, who inspired the word of God, he gives a lot of attention to this event. 66 verses are given to this critical moment in the early church. The second reason we're giving a lot of attention and time to this text is because we need to know our church history. Church history explains our past, it enlightens our present, and it shapes our future. Knowing where we have been directs where we're going. We began at Cornelius' house through the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Gentiles and how it has brought utter shock to Jewish Christians living throughout Judea. Word has spread now that these non-Jewish people, these Gentiles, have come to faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit in Acts 10 has created this Gentile Pentecost. And word is spreading and the Jewish Christians are not happy about it. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. And the scripture says this. 
The apostles and the other brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began to explain to them step by step. I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call impure. Now this happened three times and everything was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers also accompanied me and we went into the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house saying, send to Joppa and call for Simon, who's also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? When they heard this, they became silent and they glorified God saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. In Christ, Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, which I'm going to presume is the vast majority, if not all of us in this room, are accepted by God. In Christ, Gentiles are fellow heirs of God. Christ died so that all people who repent and trust in him are united with Christ forever, regardless of who they are or where they come from. This morning, I want you to notice in the text how the Jewish Christians responded to the Gentiles believing the gospel and receiving the Holy Spirit and the significant implications it has for us today. The first thing I want you to see in the text is this. I want you to see the scandal of the gospel's reach. The scandal of the gospel's reach. As Peter goes up to Jerusalem, it appears the news about what happened in Caesarea has beat Peter all the way to Jerusalem. The word had spread throughout Judea, verse 1, that by the time Peter gets to Jerusalem, verse 2, the circumcision party, these Jewish Christians were criticizing him. Now, why were they criticizing Peter? Well, there are several reasons. Let me, give you, let me give you a couple of them. First of all, let's not forget the cultural moment. Rome had dominated the world, and they were applying an ever-increasing amount of pressure upon the Jews in Israel. 
And the intensity is mounting. There's a, a slow simmer of persecution that in the year 70 AD will reach a boiling point in which the Jews would experience the bloodiest and most disastrous war in their history, climaxing with Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed by the Romans, just as Jesus said would happen in Matthew 24. You see, this debate over whether Gentiles are welcomed is not some academic exercise. It looks like they're associating with the enemy. But let's also not forget the Jewish customs and traditions to avoid Gentiles at all costs. See, Jews had created these man-made laws seeking to separate Jews from Gentiles. They wanted to avoid any possible contact with these pagan idolaters. Jewish tradition held that a person who enters a Gentile's house is ceremonially unclean. Well, for Peter to go and interact with Gentiles, moreover, Romans, that's considered taboo. It's unthinkable. It's forbidden in the mind of some. But did you see the criticism in verse 3? You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. The Jewish Christians, they were aghast. You went and ate with Gentiles. You broke Jewish custom. Peter, how could you go eat at the table of idolaters? How could you go and eat with people who sacrifice food to idols? How could you go and eat with sinners? Boy, who does that sound like? That sounds a lot like Jesus. For Jesus is the one who had a heart for sinners and those who have broken lives and who have turned their backs away from God and he pursued after them. In Mark chapter two, Mark tells us of this moment where Jesus is with his disciples and they're approached by these religious leaders. The text says, when the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came as a doctor, as the great physician who came to heal the lives of people who are, have lives that are broken by sin. People like us, people whose lives are messed up apart from Christ. That's who Jesus came for. And Westwood, the reality is there are people in your life who are outcasts. They are cultural outsiders, people who do not feel love or acceptance or included. They feel like outsiders at a recess kickball game. And we must go to them with a heart of compassion, with a heart of mercy, it's those who know that they're lost and broken who need the compassion and the tenderness of Christ. If I can have a moment just to speak into the high schoolers and middle schoolers in our church, when you see someone at school being picked on or bullied or made fun of, it is your responsibility to step in and protect them. You speak up, you take a punch. 
You protect those who are being attacked. Why? Because this is what Christ has done for us. Christ followers protect the weak in the same way that Christ has protected us. You see, when Satan comes after us with his threats and accusations, Jesus steps in as our advocate and our defender. Jesus, in the gospel, is your rescuer. He is your redeemer. He is your friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Jesus took the beating on Good Friday to protect us from sin and hell and wrath. Jesus took the beating so that we don't have to. So now as those who have received the mercy of Christ, so now know those who have received the compassion of Jesus, we now extend it out to others. We step in and we protect the weak and the vulnerable. We step out and we protect the handicaps, the autistic, the outsiders, people with different sexual orientations, people with different political perspectives. We step in and we take it upon our, on ourselves and we protect them in the same way that Jesus has protected us in the gospel. That Jesus, through his suffering, took all of the beatings for us that was deserved for us. That should have been me on that cross. That should have been you on that cross. Our sins are placed upon Jesus. So now we bear them now no more. But now we are liberated to step in and protect others. This is what we do because this is what God's done for us in the gospel. We protect and we defend, motivated by the gospel. Wesley, let's be a church that's eager to love and welcome outcasts and outsiders because we are a people who have been protected by Christ. So now we protect those who are despised and crushed because Jesus has protected us. But also, he not only protected us, Jesus included us. That's the scandal of the gospel's reach in chapter 10. This is why Peter is being criticized in chapter 11. When God gave Peter the vision of clean and unclean animals coming down on a sheet, he was showing them Gentiles are included. These people you've been trying to avoid, these outsiders, these people who shouldn't be picked on, they're actually the ones who are included. They are the ones who are going to repent of their sins, trust in Christ. They too get the Holy Spirit. And they've brought a scandal. Gentiles are included. And so Peter went to the uncircumcised Gentiles. He went to the home of Cornelius and all of these Gentiles. And he's making it clear through the gospel that they can get in on the scandal of grace. The scandal of the gospel is that messed up people, rejects, rebels, yes, even the Gentiles, God offers his grace. And maybe you're here today and your life is marked by a life of foolish decisions, of selfishness and pride. And just there's a wake of catastrophe in your past. May I say to you, you are why Jesus came. He came not for the righteous, but to call sinners, people with broken, messed up lives. The question is, are you willing to admit that? 
Are you willing to say, yeah, my life is messed up apart from Jesus? If I was left on my own, my goodness, what a mess my life would be. May I say for you, Jesus came for you. You are loved by him that even when you were shaking your fist in his face, wanting nothing to do with him, he still loved you. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when you were in the midst of your rebellion, even when you wanted nothing to do with him, he loved you and he pursued you with an everlasting love. And here is Peter going to the Gentiles, these outcast people who the Jewish Christians are thinking, there's no way they get to be a part of this. And here we see God is saying, these clean and unclean animals, the Jews and the Gentiles, guess what? They're now one. Anybody can get in on this. The gospel is for all. So here's my question. Who are the people of our day that the religious would criticize us for having a meal with them? People of a different race? People of a different religion? People of a different sexual orientation? People of a different political party? Make no mistake, y'all, we need Christian community. We need brothers and sisters in our lives. In fact, Scripture commands us to have a regular rhythm of surrounding ourselves with other believers. This is good. But let us not neglect building relationships with people outside of our circles. Looking to engage people who are considered outsiders. You see, followers of Jesus must set the pace in building bridges to those different than us. The gospel compels us to make our tables bigger, to invite us to make our scope of reach larger to even, yes, even those people. Because in this Acts 10, in this Acts 11 moment, the Gentiles, people like us, we were those people. Those who are not of the circumcision, those of us who don't have Abraham's blood going through our veins, we were considered outsiders. But now because of Acts 10 and 11, the work of the Spirit, we are now included in on this. And so as those who have now been brought into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, now we go and do the same for others. This is what Peter's doing. He went into a home of Gentiles, a Roman centurion, and he ate he shares the gospel and the spirit comes and their lives are changed forever. But you gotta remember, when you open up your table to people who are different from you, you're gonna face criticism. You're gonna have people who aren't going to like it. Peter ate with Gentiles and he's greeted verse three in Jerusalem with criticism. Hear me on this. As a faithful follower of Jesus, you will be criticized. Just make sure you're being criticized for the right things. Remember, when God moves in the heart of people, not everyone's going to rejoice. In Matthew 21, Jesus was addressing the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and he told them this, Truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. This made the religious leaders angry with Jesus. 
What they didn't realize is that before you can come into the kingdom, you have to realize that spiritually, you're a sinner. Spiritually, you're a tax collector. Spiritually, you're a prostitute. Spiritually, your heart has not been faithful. That we are people who don't deserve to be in the kingdom. And yet Jesus loves to lavish his grace on those who know they don't deserve it. And as those who were outsiders, we have now been made insiders through the gospel. That we who once were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. That no matter your past, no matter your sin, no matter your shame, if you repent of your sin and trust in Christ by faith, he will receive you. He is a faithful and good savior who knows your sin. He knows your shame. He knows your past better than you. He's fully aware. And yet he invites you to himself, motivated by love. He points you to his cross where he made a way for you to be forgiven and redeemed. That just one drop of blood is sufficient to cover all of your sin. And he gladly did it for you. Not because you're perfect. Not because you got it all figured out. Not because your life is perfect. It's because you're not. We are a people in desperate need of grace. The question is, are you willing to admit it? Are you willing to say, man, my life is broken apart from Christ? If you right now feel the weight of your sin, how you have broken God's law, you realize I don't deserve grace. You're a perfect candidate for it. God loves to show his grace to people who don't have their act together. People whose lives have been marked and broken by sin. Please know you're invited to the table of Jesus. No matter your past, no matter your sin, if you will turn from your sin and trust in Christ, he will receive you. This is what we're seeing happen in Acts 10 and 11. But I also want you to see not only the scandal of the gospel's reach, I want you to see number two, the signs of the Gentiles' inclusion. The fact that the Gentiles were included, the reality that they're now co-heirs with Jewish believers, it was scandalous in Jerusalem. How could this possibly be? Well, Peter gives a defense in verses 5 through 17 of how God confirmed the inclusion of the Gentiles. In fact, I put this in your notes, four ways that God confirmed the inclusion of the Gentiles. The first thing we see, we see the vision of Peter. Peter recalls in verses 4 through 10 how his vision of the sheet coming down from heaven, clean and unclean animals. And God was not only showing the ritual dietary laws are no longer in effect, but now Jews, clean animals, Gentiles, unclean animals, are now coming together as one in the gospel. Number two, we see the vision of Cornelius. Peter recalls, verses 13 through 14, how Cornelius had a vision in which an angel told him to send for Peter and Joppa to come to Caesarea, for he will have a message by which you and your household will be saved. Thirdly, we see the Spirit's leading of Peter to Cornelius. Note that it was the Spirit that told Peter to go with Cornelius's entourage back up to Caesarea. It was the Spirit who said, get up and go, because I am the one who has sent them. The fourth way 
We see it here. The fourth confirmation is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles in the same way he fell upon the Jewish believers back in Acts chapter 2. Acts 10 is the Gentile Pentecost. Now they are born again. They are believers in Jesus. They are now committed to following him. Peter is making clear the gospel of Jesus Christ is open to anybody who repents and trusts in Christ by faith. And this is what has happened. We see where he stands up in in chapter 10 and he preaches the gospel. He points to Jesus as the one who is the son of God, who came and gave his life at the cross. That Jesus lived a perfect sinless life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved on the cross. He gladly, joyfully, willingly went to the cross to die for our sins. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. For on the third day, Jesus arose. He defeated death. And so too will all who trust in him by faith. This is the gospel that's open to anybody and everybody who will accept it. No matter where you come from, no matter your past, no matter your sin, if you will repent and trust in Christ, he will receive you. And when you do, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's what we see happening here is the Spirit coming upon these Gentile believers. And now they are in Christ just like the Jewish believers. What was God doing here? God was not only saving a people for himself, but God was squeezing out Peter's prejudice against Gentiles like a sponge. He's squeezing out this mentality that the gospel is only for a select group of people. In fact, when he gets to Jerusalem, Peter reports what God has done. And he's standing there giving an account of all of the signs of how God has confirmed the gospel is for all. Now, up until Acts 10, the end of it, Peter was just as confused as everybody else. Like, how is this possible? There was the great World War II British Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, described Russia with this phrase. He said, Russia is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Well, as I think about the early church, as they're processing what's happening with this, the Gentiles, I think they're thinking the same thing. The, the Gentiles who are now followers of Jesus and they have the spirit, this is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. It's like they're wondering, what's going on here? Like, how is this possible? I thought we were supposed to avoid these kinds of people. And up until Acts 10 and 11, Peter was a reluctant bridge to get the gospel to the Gentiles. Here's my question to you. Will you be a willing bridge to get the gospel to the people who do not know Jesus yet? People in your office in which you're thinking, man, there's no way that person will ever come to faith in Christ. Someone on your ball team, people in your neighborhood, it may even be people in your own family. And you're thinking, man, there's no way that person will ever come to faith in Christ. The question is, are you a willing bridge? Will you put your yes on the table? And you say, Lord, would you use my life? Would you use my influence? Would you use all of the resources that you have given to me 
All of my money, my resources, my home, my house, my car, all my stuff, my, my time, God, everything I've got, I'm putting on the table. It's all yours. You have given it and you can take it away. And so now, Lord, I'm giving it to you, putting my yes on the table, saying, Lord, I want my life to count for the sake of the gospel. And this brief, momentary life that you and I have left, until you and I are at a point in which we are about to take our last breath and we are catapulted into eternity, are we going to use this life for the sake of the gospel to invest in something that lasts a lot longer than our brief, temporary lives? Oh, that today you would put your yes on the table and say, Lord, I want to be a willing bridge. I want to find a way to get the gospel to those who do not know you yet. You see, God has confirmed throughout his word that the gospel is for all people. And church, we all in this room and those of you engaging online, those who are in Christ, you are preachers. You're heralds. You're town criers. You are those who go into the workplace and into the ball fields and into your communities with the gospel as a light shining in the darkness. You're the city on a hill proclaiming the good news of Christ. And what a commission that you have received from Jesus to go and preach Christ. And we do so not with condescension in our tone, not with reluctance, but with humble, willing hearts, with tears in our eyes, with a fire in our bones. We're calling people, turn from your sin and trust in Christ. All that is within you, you're calling people, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there was a time in which we were without hope. You and I, we were apart from Christ. Hear me on this. No one is born a Christian. You must be born again through personal faith in Jesus Christ. All right? If your mentality is, I'm a Christian because my mama's a Christian or my grandmama's a Christian, then you're not a Christian. Your salvation is not inherited through pedigree, but through repentance and personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not bank your soul on someone else's faith. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is like walking into a stadium through a turnstile. You come in one at a time. You've got to come to the point in time in your life in which you say, man, I am a sinner and God, I have sinned against you. And I am guilty and I deserve death. But by your grace, I believe Jesus, you took my death. I deserve judgment, but Jesus, I believe you took my judgment at the cross. I deserve hell, but Jesus, I believe you took my hell for me at the cross. And all of the wrath that I deserve, Jesus, I believe you took my place. And so I'm placing my faith and trust in you and you alone. That you're the king and the savior of the world. You're my master and my friend. And I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. That's the moment you're born again. It's when you personally decide, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. And if you're here today or you're watching online, I want you to know that Jesus offers you this grace. He offers you this forgiveness. And no matter what's in your past, Jesus can set you free. He can forgive you because his blood is sufficient. His cross is powerful. And if you repent and trust in him by faith, he will receive you forever. This is the gospel that we have received if you are in Christ. And this is the gospel that we preach. This is the gospel that we want people in our lives to know and to treasure because we know the power of the gospel to change our lives. 
If your life is different because of Jesus, you have a gospel to tell. You have good news to proclaim to the ends of the earth. And anybody can get in on this, including the Gentiles. It's amazing here. God has proven that this is true through the signs revealed in Scripture. The third thing I want you to see in the text is the silent shock of Christ's kindness of repentance towards the Gentiles. After Peter told the story of all that God had done, a hush fell over the crowd. Peter's question in verse 17 was like an arrow to their hearts. He was asking, in essence, who wants to fight against God? God is doing this. These were his visions. This is his spirit working. How could I possibly try and stand in his way? And they were silent. No objections. There is nothing else to say except verse 18. So then, God has given repentance, resulting in life, even to the Gentiles. Notice that it says, verse 18, God has given repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. God gets the credit. God gets the glory when repentance happens. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Romans 2.4, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Now, it may not feel like God's kindness when you have sinned, when you've broken his law, and you need to repent. But it is his kindness because he's saying, listen, I'm offering you a new way, a better way. I'm calling you away from sin. I'm calling you away from selfishness. I'm calling you away from pride. I'm calling you away from you. And I'm calling you to turn from that life and to trust in my son, to follow him. That's repentance. It's a U-turn. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. You and I, apart from Christ, we're going the path of sin, we're going the path of self, we're going the path of the world. But we hear the gospel, we feel the weight of our sin, so we turn from our sin, make a U-turn, and we follow Jesus. That's the call. That's God's kindness, that he's calling us away from a path of destruction, and he's calling us to a path of life. And that is what I'm calling our church to today. It's your impact point, and it's this. Repent and run to Christ and you will find life. That's what we see in verse 18. You see, for followers of Jesus, repentance is not just a one-time act. Yes, we repent and we trust in Christ, but even as we follow Jesus, sin enters into our lives because we've not achieved perfection yet. Sin is still crouching at, the, at, the, at our door. Sin is still in our hearts and we are now fighting against it every moment of our lives. And so now a mark that you are a believer is you continually live a life of repentance. 
that you're daily examining your heart saying, my goodness gracious, I still have areas of my attitude, my thinking, my words, my life that don't look like Christ. And so you come to the Lord and say, Lord, my life doesn't look like Jesus in these ways. Holy Spirit, examine my heart. I wanna confess it. I wanna turn from that. And now I'm following you. And it's a life of continuous repentance. Why? Because we gain Christ. We gain life. He absolutely destroyed his family's reputation. He ruined his family inheritance. And he absolutely devastated his father's heart. Living a life of willful rebellion took his money and left. But there came a point in time in which his money ran out, his life was destroyed, and he couldn't fix it. He came to his senses, and he made the journey back home, hungry for grace. Jesus tells this story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. And last night, as I was reading that story, two words jumped off the text at me. Verse 20, he ran. He ran. But the one running in the story is not the son, it's the father. He sees his son in the distance. He ran. Not to scold, not to lecture, not to shake his fist in his face, but to embrace him. Welcomes him home. Covers him with a robe. Puts a ring on his, feet, on his finger. He has, throws a party. Kill the fattened calf. Let's celebrate. My son who once was lost has now been found. And when you repent, you come to God, not as one who's going to hear a lecture or a scolding or a shaming, but a savior who runs to you to embrace you and to throw a party. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Let's throw a party in heaven today by being a church that says, Lord, I'm leaving behind my life of sin and I'm following Jesus. I'm an outcast. I don't deserve to be here. I'm rejected. I'm like the kid who didn't make the kickball team. But even though I'm a Gentile, I'm in Christ. And I have the Spirit. And I'm following Jesus for the rest of my life.